on brand. Right? And on Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. And happy Culture Cast Day, everybody. We are live together, not even virtual. Nick Sonnenberg and I. Hello. Say hello. Thank you for having me. Oh my God. Thank this you. is so much more fun than it would have been over Zoom, isn't it? Right. I think let's just prove to everybody it's time to get back together, everyone. And if you could be IRL, then sit right next to each other in a podcast studio live from PNT Knitwear. Bookstore and podcast studio, 180 Orchard Street in Lower East. For those of you who are here in New York, happy Valentine's Day, happy Fashion Week, as well as happy day eight of your book launch, my friend. Thank you. I am exhausted, but it's going well so far. Right on. Well, hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We're super excited to have Nick joining us today. I know we're going to talk about creating a culture of high performance and the way to get there. And as you all know, Nick is the CEO and founder of Leverage, as well as the author of Come Up For Air. Um, I think you all have either purchased the book or read the book by now. Super excited to talk to you about all the concepts. But before we get into that, let's get to know you, Nick. Let's talk what about do you want to know? who Nick is and <laughs> how the heck did you end up starting a company that's all about efficiency? Like, how did that even happen? Well, I've always been obsessed with time, even when I was a kid. Like, my mom is super long-winded, and she would give me bedtime stories. And at the end, I'd be like, just speed it up. So, wow. so she, got, she, she wore red and got eaten by a wolf. I get it. Let's move on. And I've always just felt that time is our most precious asset. And I'm also really good at math. I'm good at math. And I like to think in terms of systems and processes. And eventually, my career led me to high-frequency trading prior to all this, which okay. has nothing to do directly with efficiency, except there's actually a lot to do with efficiency because yeah, I'm making the markets more efficient. I'm automating I'm automating how I trade stocks all based off of algorithms. And in that space, I really developed this deep appreciation for the value of time even further because like 
a microsecond can literally mean millions. And so, you know, by 25, I'm managing billions of dollars, got this random job doing high frequency trading. And I did that for eight years and really, really loved it. And eventually had a passion for startups and made the leap. I had some money in the bank. I was 30, no, no kids, no, no serious obligations. And one thing led to another and got into the productivity space because I, again, I'm passionate about saving time and you know, I'm always trying to cut a corner. Like in yeah. college, I cut, you know, I graduated a year early because I was like trying to optimize my my course catalog. You know, I'm always trying to find how do I cut a corner and just get to where I'm going to faster. And so in the end, it kind of felt really natural to land in this space where I'm at now, which is we do operational efficiency consulting and training for large organizations. Yeah. I think there's also something inspiring to share about your story as well as I listen to you. First of all, time is money, mm-hmm. period. And uh, high frequency trading, the more efficient you can be, the more money you can make, right? Well, like a microsecond could yeah. be the difference between totally. millions of dollars. We would have um, companies come and literally the, the conversations were wild. It's like, hey, do you want to invest X million dollars because we can shave off a hunt, like 10 microseconds to send an order from New York to Chicago. You know, we're having conversations about what's the height of the cell tower so that we can calculate how direct of a path it will be um, to send something from New York to, to Chicago. So yeah, it's yeah. literally nanoseconds that we're looking at. Well, I also see that there is a personal connection and I know there's a lot of people on the culture cast right now who are either in this pivot where they want to actually leave corporate life and maybe be an entrepreneur in your own their own thing, because everyone is coming out of this pandemic with, you know, understanding who they are. And I keep saying this now more than ever, doing business is personal. And what I'm learning from a lot of people is that they want to do their own personal thing. And if I recall one of the stories you talked about before you actually made the move to do your own thing was, weren't you vacationing with one of your best friends? You need to share that story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was. I always okay. thought that my job was the coolest, you know, I'm like in my mid twenties, I'm living the baller life. I've got 16 computer screens at some point. I mean, managing billions and billions of dollars. And the story you're referring to is my friend, Aaron Schiff and I were in Turks and Caicos together and he's on his laptop having a pina colada. I talk about this in the book and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, how can you, what do you mean you're working? And he was explaining to me that he's running his company and he doesn't have a boss and he can work wherever he wants, whenever he wants. And that really was a big aha moment for me because I was thinking to myself, well, what's the end game here? Like, what what does success look like? And ultimately, for me, it was freedom. And and money is one aspect to getting freedom. But, you know, also not having a boss, not having to, you know, being able to choose where I want to work, who I want to work with, so on and so forth. And ultimately, a big reason why I left trading was, you know, I, I found some difficulties with culture on the team. Sure. Which I was also the only American on the trading desk. It was French all day long. So that was very difficult for me to collaborate with people. So that's something I don't talk about all that much, but it definitely did play a big role in me taking the, the risk. It wasn't an easy decision ultimately, you know, to leave a job where financially you're extremely stable to then go into this, you know, completely unknown territory where you don't know if it's going to work or not work. Yeah, I think you didn't know it was going to work. But if we hear your story, you are passionate about efficiency. You are passionate about saving time. 
and you're passionate about math, <laughs> which um, we had dinner last night, by the way. And it was just funny the way you even made the order efficient <laughs> when um, the server was explaining how to get a seafood tower for four people. Well, anyway. you know, another thing, another yeah. thing with high frequency trading is it's it's not just math. It's also thinking about risk in a different way. Okay. And so last night I was more in my risk thinking mode. I'm like, if there's a miscommunication right here, there's risk that they're going to charge us $500 for some oysters and some, for some right. shrimp. And I wanted to minimize that risk. <laughs> okay. Now that's actually a great example of really translating high frequency trading to how you order efficiently. So yeah. let's fast forward then when you founded your company, tell me about that. So when I first left high frequency trading, I was, are we allowed to cuss on this? Uh, yeah, why not? Oh, I was scared shitless. Like I, I literally, the day that I quit and it took me years to build up the courage to quit. And during, you know, during like the last year or two of being a trader, nights and weekends, I was going to general assembly and other places to learn about marketing, about, yeah. you know, design, so on and so forth. But when I quit, I was like, this might not work like high frequency trading. I was doing something called index arbitrage. It's such a niche specific thing that we're doing. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm an expert at this one sliver of finance. Am I going to be able to make this work in other places? And um, it was scary. And I first left to build an app called Calvin, which was a scheduling tool. Okay. So it was still in this productivity space, yeah. still about saving time. And then during that process, Marin, who you met yeah. actually at, at Mexico yeah. at my event. Yeah. So did it, do you know the story with Marin? I don't think I know the story of Marin. So Marin started Zirtual, which okay. is a virtual assistant yeah. company. And I was a, a client of them. And I was having dinner with my ex-business partner and they announced bankruptcy that day. And so we were just chatting over dinner. Uh, myself and now my ex-business partner, we were just friends back then. And we were brainstorming, what did they do wrong? Like, what was wrong with their business model? And we had this idea to build a freelancer marketplace in a different, slightly different way. And so at the end of that dinner, it was kind of cool what we came up with. So I'm like, look, I'm pretty busy right now with Calvin, but on the side, I can build a backend in, in like a day. Yeah. I could just kind of hack together a few tools. If you get five clients, let's launch on day two and just give this a try. Fast forward a month, we're on stage following Tony Robbins at, at a conference, close the whole room, signing up. And you fast forward a year and it grew very quickly, wow. too quickly yeah. and with a lot of issues. But okay. on the surface, you know, we had a tremendous success that first year. Well, say more about, <laughs> and I guess say more about growing too quickly and then we'll jump into how yeah. you define culture. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, I think that the market in general, they reward growth. I think, you know, and that's what's impressive to people. Mm -hmm. And now we're living at a time even where, you know, valuations of companies have just gotten hammered because now they're they're realizing like, hey, maybe that wasn't the thing to necessarily optimize for. Maybe profitability is important, turns right. out, right? And we fell into that trap too. We didn't raise money, but we were just optimizing for revenue growth. So we we achieved that optimization. You know, we, we grew to a large size, seven figures in the first year. 150 people on the team, all really impressive. But under the hood, it was a complete cluster. You know, we were in all this debt. We were losing a ton of money. Our org chart was super smart. It was just two of us. He was people facing. I was non-people facing. Oh, you know, coming from a high frequency yeah. background, you know, my day was like 12 hours with headphones on thinking about some complex math all day. 
So I didn't want to be managing a whole bunch of people. Sure. And so when all, one day in October, he comes up to me when we're working at a co-working space and he tells me he's out. Not in two weeks, not in two days. He's out in two minutes. Wow. Tapped out in the moment. He's, he's out. Mm. Didn't even have time to finish my coffee. And I go white and I'm thinking this can't be real because on the surface, we were a huge success. Under the hood, you know, with all these problems, I was like, this, this is going to be tough. And it was for the following three months. Um, we lose about 40% of revenue. My, I'm cashing out my 401k. Oh. My dad's taking a second mortgage on his house. Yikes. You know, yeah. and you know, it's hard. People, people complain about having to move into the, their parents' basement, you know, try taking your father to the bank to sign, you know, equity line agreements is not easy. So I had to make the decision, do I bankrupt the company or not? And ultimately I saw a path to cleaning things up. So I stuck it out and we did start seeing improvements and it, it started forcing me to refine this framework that eventually I developed as part of this book mm -hmm. that we were, that we'll talk about come up for air. And people started reaching out, asking me to help them too. And that, so I worked with seven figure financial advisors. I worked with Poopery, the poop spray, um, and other very large companies. Everyone had the same problem. So yeah. eventually what I realized was, hey, there's all these new ways of working. And we always started remote. So it forced us to test how to use these tools in new innovative ways. And it made me realize, look, there's all these new ways of working. There's all these new yeah. collaboration tools. No one's ever been taught when and how to use these. There's a massive opportunity that can, you know, if people use these right, we saw that you can save a full business day a week plus improve culture. That's right. So it's not just bottom line. It's also culture because there's less stress. There's more trust, so on and so forth. And uh, ultimately, I, I realized this is what we can be world class. And this is kind of more blue ocean. There's yeah. no one else really world experts yet at this. The people that got rich in the gold rush were the ones that sold the shovels. Let's teach people how to, you know, the best practices that we've yeah. been defining all these years. And so now that's what we do at Leverage. And that's what my book is about. And I, I want to impact, you know, I want to save millions and millions of hours of people's time. Like, yeah. what better gift could I give that's right. than that? And time is money. I guess yeah. I'll say that again. So one thing I want to say about culture that I know I believe in, especially with leaders, right? So you're the CEO and founder of your company. I always say that culture is a reflection of the top. It's also having real clarity about who you are and what you stand for. And it seems like huge lesson learned, you know, the first time around with your co-partner oh. and then pivoting to, all right, how do you live your truth? How do you live your brand? Right. It was the best thing that happened to me though. Cause I wouldn't be here, to, yeah. you know, on culture cast today. I wouldn't have a book out on this with Harper Collins. I like our business, we would have been doing, you know, my friend Ben Hardy has a book coming out called 10 X is easier than two X. And what the, the premise of his book is, you know, it's, sometimes it's easier to completely just break something and think of a completely new way of doing yeah. it rather than like trying to like polish a turd a bit, you know? Yeah. And so that's the premise of his. And had I not have completely been thrown in the deep end yeah. with this, you know, I wouldn't have developed this framework probably. I wouldn't have had this book. And also just from a culture standpoint, although it was difficult and I had like a mass exodus on both the client and the team side, but, yeah. the because rumors were being being spread. Well, like, your I, personal life was on the line. Your dad's house was on the line. I mean, it was wild. Yeah. Like when I tell you wild, like people were reaching out to me. Like I've never had racism like to me, but people were like what? calling me like a Jew. Okay. Like it was crazy. That's stupid. Crazy. Yeah. Like people that 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 had been hired that I'd never even spoken to were like coming at me in really bad ways. It was it was wild. Um, but 
now we're a fraction of the size, doing way more revenue, profit, et cetera. And I still have some of the people that were around then. Amazing. So from a culture standpoint, you know, we've got battle wounds together, you know, like we've gone through war together. So like yeah. that, that, although during the moment it was really tough, now we're left with this really strong nucleus that like bonds us that you can't teach, you can't buy, you know, the only way to get through, to get what we have right now is to have gone through a crazy experience. That's right. So let's talk about culture. So when you think about culture or the word culture, how would you define it? <laughs> I've thought about this yeah. actually a lot. So the way I look at it is how can you get a group of people to have the same type of behaviors and beliefs collectively. And I actually asked Darcy, who you met um, yeah. in Mexico as part of our little yeah. club. And I asked her the same question. And I wanted to read to you okay. what she said, because I liked her response. She said, culture is the collective consciousness of what a group of people says, feels, thinks, and does. But I think ultimately it's how do you get a group of people to be aligned, aligned on how they make decisions, how they uh, explain something, how they behave. You can't have an internal company wiki that's 10 million pages long that yeah. explains if this do this, if right. this do this. So you have to, you have to kind of create some type of framework so that people can make decisions, act in a certain way that you would expect with some level of predictability. Right. That's also, I think it's the kind of framework that as you attract newer people to this new company that you've now reset, yeah. right? That they actually choose to be part of it. Or right? choose not to, which is yeah, totally fine too. To. Which self-select out, right? Which you know, like your not to do list is more important than your to do list. Like making people self-select out actually is probably even more valuable than the ones that select self-select in because yeah. the the value of a bad hire, you know, could be way worse than the upside of a good hire. Sometimes. Yeah, totally agree. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. They're looking for, you know, with this great reflection that has happened as a result of the pandemic. People are now thinking, all right, if I'm going to go join somebody or an organization, then it better be aligned to my purpose, how I roll, what my personal values are. Totally. Right. And you're saying outside looking in, if I were to join your company, then, you know, I would meet you and all of the other OGs on your <laughs> team, yep. as well as noobs, I would assume, to just get get what I need to see if that totally. ties with me. Yeah, yeah. And our culture is not for everyone. Yeah. Right. And so there are some people where it's, Perfect. You know, there's people on our team where they live and breathe efficiency. Like we're geeking out like, hey, did you see this new app? Like you did you see this new feature here? We can save a second. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, that's a high frequency trader mindset, because I, I know a second isn't just a second. If that happens 60 times a day, you know, that's a minute a day, five minutes a week, 20 minutes, yeah. 20 minutes a month, four hours a year times a team of whatever your team is you know, it starts to add up a lot. So we're always looking at things in terms of team productivity rather than individual productivity. But yeah, our culture, we work hard, we play hard, we are remote. So you can work wherever you want, basically whenever you want, okay. unlimited vacation day, but there are high expectations. We make it really clear kind of what the expectations are. This is how you're, you're going to be measured. Okay. You know, I think that that and then and it all comes back to being aligned. You know, if you need to align with people, what the expectations are and how performance is going to be measured. But for me, people are always like, do you, do you think, do you believe in a four day work week, a three day work week? This, I'm like, I think you should mu mutually align on what success looks like right. and not worry about 
kind of the, the second the secondary details around that. I totally agree. And I think it's also based on the culture that you're trying to create in your company. You know, there's no rule around that. And I think people are still trying to solve for that. I, th- I get asked that question a lot. Like, do you believe in the new four-day work week? I'm like, what are you talking about? Some yeah. companies have already been doing that because that's the culture that they are. And that's how they get their work done. So let's talk about Come Up For Air. Mm-hmm. And this framework that you've created. So can you talk about your framework? Yeah. So at this point, we've worked with thousands of teams. Okay. And it doesn't matter if you're a million dollar a year pet hospital or you're literally a you know, hundred billion dollar tech company. What we found is every team, every organization has the same foundational requirements to be efficient. And there, it turns out that there's three buckets or three drawers. Okay. You need to communicate with people internally and externally. Um, You need to plan. So you've got tasks and you have projects and you have resources. You have your SOPs, your processes. And so this was kind of when I was late at night, you know, working those 24 hour shifts uh, during that crazy time period. That's where I kind of started to realize, hey, these are the three buckets we need to focus on. Because during that time, I couldn't just click a button and know what's Aiden working on right now. Right. Or, hey, what did Andrew tell me? Was that in a text? Was that in an email? Was that in a DM in Slack? Was that in a group chat? And I was wasting so much time on things where I'm like, this is so basic. And so it forced me to kind of realize those buckets. Okay. And there's different tools available now that help you that, you know, companies have invested billions and billions of dollars developing great technology in each of these tools, in each of these areas. And what I noticed is, 99.99% of teams and organizations don't have any policy or framework in terms of when they should use each of these types of tools. Primarily, most companies are just run off of text and email. Mm -hmm. They don't, when you onboard people, and I'm curious what what would happen at some of the companies you've been involved with, you get a lot about sexual harassment, core values, but it's not, you know, at company ABC, this is how we work. This is how we collaborate. We use this tool for this type of thing. We use this tool for this type of thing. And they don't give any kind of training. Yeah. And it's it's like learning a language. Imagine if you're primarily French and you try to hire a Japanese person and try to hire you know a Spanish speaker. It's going to be hard to get work done. Totally. And it's the same with these tools. And and with what what I realized was the underlying principle with all this is companies and people when they're overwhelmed and they're drowning in work which is why i called the book come up for air what do you do when you're drowning in work you just try to cut corners and just get things off your plate as quickly as possible because you literally don't have a free second so you start playing this game of hot potato just take it and when everyone's playing this game of hot potato and back to math we call it a local optimization when you're just doing these local optimizations You'll text, you'll email, you'll do whatever it takes just to like move on to the next thing. But when everyone's playing that game, the scavenger hunt accumulates yeah. and then it, nothing is organized. Then you have to go and find that document yeah, next week. Right. Or what did I tell Andrew? And then you, you're spending a million times longer stitching things together, oh, trying to goodness. go on the scavenger hunt. So what I realized is the name of the game is how do you align people where different pieces of information goes? So that it's easy to retrieve stuff, not transfer. And that shifts the entire strategy yeah. from being a local to being a global optimization. And in your personal life, when you do your laundry, 
the fastest way to be done with your laundry is you take it out of the out of the dryer and throw it in one drawer. But most people don't. Most people separate their socks in one drawer, their underwear in another drawer, and you spend that extra few seconds yeah. or minute. You invest that time because tomorrow when you have to put an outfit together, you can retrieve what you're looking for much faster. That's right. It's the same thing in business. It's just CPR are those are those drawers. There's different tools that help you to achieve, you know, optimal efficiency in each of those drawers. And you need to change the culture to be a culture of retrieval. And you need, you know, HR departments need to start training people from the onset, you know, during onboarding, this stuff needs to be integrated in onboarding so that before, you know, two weeks and they've already got a million projects and they can't come up for there, you you know, HR teams need to start getting this stuff from day one into their, into their onboarding training. I mean, the last company that I was at before the pandemic started, we got this new collaboration tool called WebEx. And I'm a nerd and I was an early adopter. There was training for WebEx that not everyone signed up to go and do. It wasn't mandatory? Not mandatory. They're just like, oh, so first it was rolled to the executives and then everybody else. And they said, go to this WebEx overview. I'm like, I'm going to go, I want to learn how to use this tool. Because my team was not all in one building. They were out in the field. Mm-hmm. They were in other parts of the country, around the world, et cetera. And it was fun to learn WebEx, right? And how do I actually have these meetings at least as a way of communicating and having everyone in the same room, so to speak, virtually. But then I think about fast forward, the pandemic happens. We still weren't back two weeks, two months. And I think into that, um, our training team actually put together training just for the existing team members at specifically, I'll say office-based who are now working from Mm -hmm. home in their home office on how to use these collaboration tools. Oh, so you right? guys did you guys did create internal training. Yeah, there was internal training, but it was because we needed to do it, because it was a lot of this running around, okay, where is this information? How do we get to this person? And even, I mean, simple things too, like um, putting notices in WebEx, like where you are, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That just helps people instead of, I'm trying totally. to track Nick down, I don't know where he is, right? So, to- totally. Yeah. It was, the, was the training man, uh, mandatory? It wasn't mandatory. And I think that's part and of the problem because you've got people who are trained on it and then people who are not. And so it, you can't be as efficient as wh- you can be. Why, why the decision to not make it mandatory? I think everyone was just feeling so overwhelmed and it feels like it's going against what you're saying. It's actually well, creating more overwhelming feelings it's, it's, when not everyone's on the same It's page. tricky when you're yeah. in quicksand, you know, like one of yeah. the things... One of the things with this stuff that you have to be really strategic with, what's the first thing to fix? Because when people are, have a full plate and they're already drowning, you know, you've got to give them some quick wins to just create a little yeah. bit of breathing room. But um, yeah, I, I've seen most companies completely miss this and not be focused on any training whatsoever inside of their companies. Yeah. And it's just wild to me because it's such a, it's not just saving time, which can, you know, if you can give back, five hours a week or 10 hours a week to your employees that they can then go and work on a, a, a key project that's going to really drive profit. Yeah. They can not be s- super stressed out where, you know, if they're, if everyone's stressed out, they're not going to be doing the same quality of work They're It's going to impact culture because you're going to start snapping at people. Right. right? And um, also it's going to affect um, culture because trust will deteriorate. If you don't, if I don't trust that if I ask you to do something that's going to get done and it's not because 
you know, for me, trust comes in multiple forms. I might trust you that you have integrity and you're not going yeah. to steal from me, but I might not trust you in the context of if I ask you to do something, I don't, I think there's a 50, 50 chance it gets done because you don't have good systems. You're not going to, you might not capture it in the right way. I know you've got a lot on your plate. So now I need to follow up with you over text, over yeah. email, over Slack. Hey, I just want to make sure, is that still getting done? So now I've wasted my time following up four different ways. Yeah. It's added stress to me. You feel like I'm micromanaging and it just, it's a domino effect, right? So it's, if people are on the same page, it saves time, but also, which again, goes to those big projects, but it also helps culture. So that's why this conversation right now is so, so relevant because efficiency and culture to me go completely hand in hand. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's just so super relevant. Who would have thought? And what I mean by that is, um, yes, I think efficiency and culture go hand in hand. You made this comment earlier around, you know, is it better to grow 10x or 2x, right? And when I think about high growth, and believe me, I've been in a lot of high growth situations, and where you become less um, effective mm -hmm. is when, again, this happens, right? You create a cluster because there's no aligned way of how you communicate, you know, yeah. how you retrieve information, how you share information, et cetera. And I think that slows down growth. And what I'm hearing you say, and actually, I, was having a conversation with someone that I call the culture guru. Her name is Barbara Perry and did a lot of work at Starbucks in driving culture. And she said this comment and the way I resonate is she said, change can only happen as fast as people can learn, right? Mm -hmm. Like that needs to, that needs to be equal. And what your framework tells me as I'm a culture nerd as well, it creates a learning organization. And I think totally. that is part of a culture that needs to exist in order for a company to grow. Totally. And, and, you know, the whole underlying premise, premise of, of, of my framework yeah. is optimized for retrieval instead of transfer. So that also kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about, because to be a learning culture, you need things to be easy to access, yes. right? You need, you don't want one risk that someone leaves and all the knowledge goes out their head. You want to capture all that knowledge. You want to capture decisions made and how best practice, you know, you've companies have invested millions and millions of dollars making error, like it's fine to make an error as long as it's not deadly. And as long as you've learned something from it and it's not going to happen again or right. lower chances, right? So you want to make sure that things are documented so that they can be retrieved so that you don't have risk of someone leaving. So you don't have risk of a mistake happening again or an error happening. Um, and it's super important. Yeah, I agree. Um, and one other thing I was thinking about this learning culture and why it's so relevant for today. I mean, there's a lot of companies that are downsizing, right? And we heard your story about how, you know, with your partner under the hood, it's kind of like, well, yep. we're not practicing what we're preaching. Yep. And I think companies today are downsizing and now trying to figure out how do we continue to do more with less people, right? And again, it's not even about that mentality. It's like, how do you create a good quality of life for the people that are there? So that they can be as effective as they, you know, they can be when there were, you know, ten thousand more people in the company. Well, well, two yeah. things. One, back to your friend Barbara was her yeah. name. Being a learning culture, I think, is more important now than ever. I mean, the 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 rate of change in business is yeah. faster than ever. Now there's there's blockchain, there's quantum computing coming out. Like business models are getting disrupted, and there's these new technologies. Yeah. So if you don't have a culture of learning and you're still operating in old ways and you're relying on tribal knowledge, 
I think you're going to have a tough time in the next 10 years. Yeah, I, it's interesting. There's a lot of companies still like that. Yeah. You know, large and, companies. And, um, you know, it's about priorities too. I think in the past, a lot of people prioritize short term. Basically, they like heavily weighted their chips on short term versus long term, yeah. where I think this efficiency stuff, it's, it's, are you playing the long game or the short game? Because always tomorrow, if you just need to maximize how much you're making tomorrow, you know, documenting something in your knowledge base is probably not going to generate quick cash that you could on a sales call tomorrow. Yeah. So there needs to be alignment from the leadership. Hey, it's okay that we're not 100% on short term. We're going to go 80% short term and we're going to invest on this long term stuff too, because that's important yeah. as well. And it's like, if you have a sink overflowing with water, you can patch, say it takes an hour to patch the pipe or five minutes to, to mop the floor. Everyone's just mopping the floor because it's five minutes and now you go back to sales. But if that, if every week you got to do the five minutes after 12 weeks, you are better off just patching the pipe because now for the rest of time, you're still spending yeah. five minutes a week versus you could have been done by now. And so people need to be able to make that, swallow that pill and sacrifice Hey, we're gonna we're gonna make this investment not of money but of time and energy, so that we never have to waste time uh, on that activity going forward. But that's my long-winded. Yeah, now I'll circle okay. back to yours about the downsizing. Companies are downsizing, and you know we're going through potentially a recession right now. And you know, according to Mark Zuckerberg, there's a bunch of uh, articles that have come yeah. out like about the year of efficiency. You know, there's there's so. Uh, there's so much complexity that gets added to an organization with every new hire. Totally. You know, and I think that a lot of companies overhired potentially to compensate for a lack of efficiency. And I think that that, you know, came back to bite them. And I think that I've seen so many, I've seen so many people think that the best way to increase their capacity is through hiring more people and throwing bodies at a problem. Yep. And it's kind of like, you want to cook a dinner, you hire a private chef. But at some point, if you keep hiring private chefs and you have 30 in your kitchen, there's too many cooks That's in the right. kitchen. People are getting in the way. And um, there's a in math, there's network theory called um, Metcalf's law, which talks about, you know, how many different you know, it's it's if you have two cell phones, there's one one person you can call yeah. every cell phone you add to a network. It's exponential. The more ways communication can happen. But it's the same way in business. Every person that you hire, there's exponentially more ways for information to get transferred, lost, things to slip through the cracks. And so, so many people go the route of, oh, we need to increase capacity that's hire people. And as you know, you have to pay for recruiting, onboarding, training, pay for a salary, and then you have this exponential complexity problem. And, you know, there's the other way that you can increase capacity. So that to me is the worst way. Yeah. The second way is you tell people to work hundred hours a right. week. Work harder. People don't yeah, really then, love that. Yeah, right. And so then you got efficiency, which to me is what I'm passionate about. Like, how do you just remove the roadblocks, remove yeah. the friction and allow people to work on things that give them joy, tap into their unique ability and give them a chance of working on the, you know, make doing the best work of their life. And so all this downsizing, I think is a function of over using hiring as a strategy to increase capacity instead of focusing on more of a long-term solution, which is how do you make sure that every person that you add to your organization, you're getting full utilization yeah. out of? Totally agree. And I think uh, when you describe how you throw people at the problem, I feel like 
in my last few roles at these public companies where I had the chance to be, you know, the chief of people or the head of HR, it is literally cleaning up after the parade when it's like, well, they grew so quickly and then there's this plateau and what are we going to do to really unlock that, right? And it is diagnosing the problem. At least the problem was what capabilities do we really need to have? Mm -hmm. And I have found organizations where instead of really taking a step back and getting clarity around the work, et cetera, we just threw people, you know, people or bodies at the problem mm -hmm. to fix. And so- Have you ever seen that work in terms of a strategy? No, never, yeah. never, because then you have to go back and reset. And I'm gonna, I think about my relationship to math. I loved it in high school, but was a biology major, hmm, I didn't not, know that. not a math major. But I think about um, everything you're talking about, and it is about- math, where you have to understand all the variables to define the problem. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what you're talking about, right? And um, in so many ways, in how people can actually find more efficiency in what they're doing, um, and how companies actually need, and I, people say this all the time, go slow and move fast, right? It's a long-term game, because at the end of the day, you need to understand the problems you're trying to solve, or what is the root cause of what the issue is. And I think for companies today, you know, yes, it's unfortunate that with this massive um, acceleration in digital, right, and automation that's happened for a lot of companies, let's just hire a bunch more people. And now it's kind of like, how do we fix this? Because now growth in public companies, especially, is not valued. It's really about flow through and the efficiency. And it's so and leverage. And, and yeah, <laughs> no leverage. pun intended. Yeah. But, um, you know, back to the complexity scales exponentially, it is so much harder to make any change. I mean, the changes that the transformations we make is around efficiency. So we'll train, we'll train a, a, a company on, you know, how to better use project management tools or how to roll out Slack or one of yeah. these things, but doing it for a team of 200 versus a hundred isn't twice as hard. It's like a hundred times as hard, you know? And, and I'd imagine with culture, it's the same thing. Like you get to a thousand people changing the culture, trying to implement new core values, trying to implement a new way of doing something. It's like moving a boulder versus moving a pebble. So staying small, I think is an advantage and you should really hire, in my opinion, not as a first resort, but as a last resort in most cases. Yeah, I agree with you. Although some people would say, no, we need more headcount because we can't get the work done, you know? And so, well, and, and there's, yeah. there's, there, there are, I'm, this is, there's always there there's always use cases. I'm not trying to be black and white with this stuff. There are, there are scenarios where you absolutely need to hire people. I'm just suggesting people should make sure that they're getting utilization out of their team. That's like right. in my in my experience, when I look at at most people, they're wasting twenty to forty percent of their time. You know, when you inter when we survey people, it's like what what percentage of time do you spend going on a scavenger hunt, working on things that you know, say your time is worth a hundred an hour. Yeah. How much of, how much of your day is spent on things that you think a 10 or a $20 an hour person could do huge percentage of time. And so I'm just suggesting audit that, like take a look at that first and see if there's some quick wins you can make there. But of course, you know, you're throwing a huge event next week and you literally just need physical bodies. Like, right. yeah, there, there are situations, but. Yeah. I'm going to take a peek at some comments since there's a lot of people in here who are just talking about everything you're saying around efficiency, not spending more money on things, um, and throwing it at, and, and throwing it at the problem. 
Um, and I'm just yeah. curious, at, at why do you think it is, uh, do you think that it's shifting now that, that, that these larger companies are starting to now be more focused on, are you seeing that in your yeah, experience? Oh, totally. I think, I mean, the last round of earnings calls that have happened, there are some really big ones that have happened mm. in the last couple of weeks. And the focus, if you look at um, analysts now looking at the actual leverage of a company, and I'll pen and it again, and the profitability of a company, mm. I think that's when you start thinking, all right, am I really putting that labor line to use, yeah. right? And what other things do I need to be doing to ensure that we're really driving, you know, driving efficiency with how we spend our capital, right? Well, I guess when like multiples are like 50x on top line revenue, it, it, people's incentives are, you know, you kind of, your strategy is a function of where your incentives are. So I guess totally if, if Wall Street is valuing companies in a certain way, that's going to drive certain strategy and influence, um, you know, your hiring strategy. Yeah. But, you know, now, now that there's been a bit of a correction there, I'm guessing that, you know, this is going to be a, a hot topic for 2023. I think so beyond. too. And I just don't want to lose sight of, this is not about cutting headcount. What I want to say on top of that is, Make sure that you have when you, you're a company of one, you're a company of a hundred, a hundred thousand people. Look at your long-term strategy as a company, even annually, what it is you're trying to do. What capability does the company need to have? And I think that defines totally. kind of the skills and resources that you need. And then what are you doing with them? Right. And so I, I want to make sure we layer that on top, right? A hundred percent. And also um, it might just be that, that, you know, you don't know how to properly utilize your current talent, you know? That's true. You know, and like, sure, if if these people are wasting 20 to 40%, like maybe that's part of the issue. But if 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 you could, I think that there's an opportunity where there are, these layoffs don't need to be happening to the extent that they are. And if people worked a bit smarter, if companies, you know, were getting more value out of these people, um, you know, because of efficiency, because of just maybe being more aligned on how, what matters most and making yeah. sure that the individual even knows, you know, kind of what the focus should be on and how their performance should be me uh, measured. I think that a lot of these layoffs could probably be avoided. I totally agree. And I think uh, a way of training people is a way of investing in them totally. because they're building new skills that will help them not only here today, but for the future when they do you want to move up or move around or whatever, right? Well, when we we do quarterly check-ins with people, so we're we're asking them questions like, "What what skill set do you do you feel like you're lacking that we need to kind of focus on?" And we also talk we talk through. It's not that we can solve this every quarter, but what are the three things you like doing the least as part of your job? And let's start brainstorming how we can get these things off your plate. So we look at roles as like this dynamic kind of Lego block, so to speak. Uh, function where, you know, a job is really just the sum of a bunch of micro responsibilities. Yeah. And you could be the director of marketing, but that today might mean something totally different than it did two years ago when you got hired and you had a vague totally, job right. description. Right. So we're constantly trying to deconstruct what does that role actually mean? And we tried documenting every single micro responsibility and that became just too much to manage. So now what we're doing is what are the three things that you like the least? Let's have a discussion on how we can get that off your plate. Is there a software? Is there automation? Can yeah. we hire someone else? Because what you hate, someone else might love. And then that will free up your time to work on something that you'll be able to add a bigger impact to. And so 
everyone's role isn't static, it's dynamic, yeah. in my opinion. Again, it goes back to this learning organization and as human beings having that growth mindset mm -hmm. because things are not, they're always constantly evolving. Now, if I were listening to our culture cast and I love always breaking things down into what is the smallest executable step? So what's the one thing that if you were to give advice to people who are watching and listening in to get started on this, what is the one thing you would suggest? Oof. Probably the quickest thing is learn how to use email properly. Okay. <laughs> That's like the quickest way to, to, to value time. I mean, are we talking to the individual or are we talking to a, le a leader right now? Well, I for mean, this if you have a tidbit for the individual and a tidbit for a leader. Hmm. Well, I guess for both, <laughs> we, we talk about in the book how to use email properly, yeah. but like we just see that that is like three to five hours a week, easy back. So that's a, that's a good one. I think that meetings are probably one of the other largely inefficient parts of business. We see, we see, I think I read an article like $35 billion of, yeah. of waste and unproductive meetings. And the funny thing is a lot of, a lot of those meetings were about being more productive. So meetings are a big one. There's not enough. People aren't putting together agendas. You, you don't accomplish what needed to get accomplished. Right. There's too many people on the call. They're too long. And so another thing that, that we really uh, advocate for is, you know, audit your meetings, like each meeting, think about it in terms of a dollar value. If you've got four people on a meeting and they're a hundred dollars a person, that's a $400 meeting. That's right. And also um, it's not just about saving time. It's about optimizing time. So also be aware of where your brain is going to have the highest horsepower. What time slots on your calendar are the most valuable time slots and optimize around that. You know, if you've got the most important call of the day and you're doing that after 12 zoom calls, there's that's right. not that's not going to be a good strategy for yeah. you. And so whether you're remote or you're co-located and you're working in person, I think that there's still an opportunity to use all the tools that we've been talking about to use asynchronous communication. And again, it doesn't matter if you're physically there or not. And you can cut down on a lot of meetings. So many meetings don't need to be as long as they were. How many meetings have you been part of where, well, maybe it sounds like the companies that you've been at, you guys had some well, pretty good meeting culture. I know we had meeting a culture. Yeah. about the meeting culture where there's a very specific agenda. You need to submit I love that. your pre-reads. You need to actually read them to participate That's in the meeting. Right? super smart. Not. Yeah. It's a shame that not enough companies yeah. are doing things and like the, that. Yeah, the agenda also was, what is the ask? Like, are we deciding something? Do, yep. You know, is there a resource that you need, et cetera? And I agree with you from an agenda standpoint, just getting real clarity about that. Because I've also been in other companies where, my first meeting, I'm like, how are there 30 so, people in this room here who are going to go back and talk to the 30 other people so, to make a decision? So if yeah. you're on a call and then you're like, oh, show me the numbers. And then on that call at 9 a.m. on a Monday, where that to me could be worth a thousand an hour instead of a hundred an hour, because Monday at 9 a.m., that's after a relaxing weekend, after I've woken up, worked out, had my coffee, my brain's at full horsepower. If if, if I'm using that time slot and someone's sharing their screen, showing me reports and talking, talk, just talking at me for 15 minutes, that's not a good use of that time that's slot. Right. Send me a recording of you doing that on Friday. And when I'm in the back of an Uber doing nothing, I'll hit play at 2x speed and I'll watch that. And now we've just saved 15 minutes at the highest value time slot on the whole calendar. So that's those are two things, whether you're a leader or you're um, an employee. Get a grip on your calendar and, and run better meetings. Those are some quick wins. But if you're a leader, I would strongly advise 
get efficiency to be part of your culture. And that starts with onboarding and, and okay. making this mandatory. Don't, don't just make it optional. It doesn't have to be a hundred tools that you're teaching, but if you use Microsoft, teach them Outlook, teach them how to use Teams properly, set them up for success. Like that first week, don't throw them into a bunch of problems, projects, get them set up in that first week. And now for the next X number of years that they're working at that That's company, right. you're going to be getting an extra 20 to 40% out of every single employee that you hire. So you sacrifice the first week, get them up to speed, and now you got an extra 20 yeah. to 40% for, for in perpetuity. Well, not in perpetuity. I mean, the likelihood that they'll stay beyond 60 days exactly. increases exponentially. 100%. That's a huge thing. Yeah. And so um, I know we're coming up at the top of the hour soon, and I always want to ask a question around pop culture. And oh, so, okay. you know, I've been asking people, what are you wearing lately? What are you listening to or watching to, you know, watching? that, you know, that you vibe with. So what's going on with you, Nick? Well, I, I just had a book come out, so I haven't been watching as much TV <laughs> as, right. as I usually would. Um, just started watching this Netflix series. Actually, you might like, I forget the name of it. It's about this dog that inherited $400 million. Okay, have no, you heard I of this? have not heard of this. So that this dog, insane. yeah, it's crazy. Like this German shepherd was like the heiress to some really rich person gave all the money. <laughs> To the dog and it's a tv show i mean we haven't gotten to the end so it sounds like there's probably some fraud going on here but like literally the dog is like eating tomahawk steaks and going on yachts and living oh, the, <laughs> the dog decide how he spends the money and that's where i think the fraud comes in but i haven't gotten to that point oh my god um um shopping i mean this is dunhill like i have a lot of dunhill or just buck mason i, yeah. I typically wear plain yeah, stuff you're a dunhill kind of dude and a mm -hmm. buck mason kind of guy yeah um I just got a cool cowboy hat that you will see in Idaho when we go okay. to Idaho in a couple weeks. I'm going to wear some cowboy so, boots. Why not? Yeah, let's right? just go full cowboy in Come Idaho. On. Yeah, I'll uh, be more urban cowgirl, but ooh. you know, as you know. What's Mike going to wear? Um, Michael kind of has his own style, you know. <laughs> I don't know that he's going to sign up for any cowboy gear. So, um, what, are you, what are you guys watching? Oh my gosh. Um I'm just going to own this because I love relationships and Michael's going to shake his head at me like he is right now. He's off camera. Everybody is, um, I love love. So the bachelor, any dating show, oh. because it says a lot about, there's Dude. always like the wacky behavior, the straightforward one, et cetera. Did you ever so, see Rod was on a, on a, reality love show did you ever see that one no i remember when he mentioned that i don't I, think I i've seen either. that love show hmm. but there was one um that i came across and it made me laugh and i don't think i finished watching it but it was the real love boat and so they tried to recreate the love boat hmm. tv show from the 70s and then make it kind of a dating show where people come on on and off and get matched up and you know do they stay on this boat forever and Whoever is kind of at the very end wins the prize. Hmm. Um, and they try to recreate the characters like the captain and, you know, the social director and the bartender and the doctor, et cetera. Well, so, maybe once I come up for air myself, I'll get back into the TV. I, I love it. Actually, there was another show called Alone. Have you ever heard of this one? Yeah, I've heard of that. I haven't seen it. Where they just drop you off in like Alaska somewhere with 10, 10 tools and you just survive as long as you can. And it's all um, self-filmed. That That's a cool show. Yeah. I mean, I, the one show that I do love that I binge watch, which you can easily do on Netflix, season three came out, Emily and Paris, <laughs> excellent fashion. I see a theme here. 
Yeah. And um, I'm like, oh, I'll just watch the first one because we went to Paris to, over the holidays. I'll watch the rest on the plane. Yeah, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I'm a binger too. All right, right on. Well, I want to close with this question, which is CPR framework. I mean, I think about, is that on purpose? What I mean by that is, you know, is it a way to revive a company? Just saying. It yeah. all just fell together. So okay. CPR came first. I start like, that was my aha. You need to communicate plan resource. And then, um, you know, when I decided to write the book, I started the book four years ago. It all just kind of, it all just came natural. I'm like, well, my framework is CPR. Everyone's telling me that they're drowning in work yeah. and that they need to, like, literally you talk to people. It's like, how's it going? I'm drowning. I just need to come up for air. I mean, I'm even, <laughs> I'm, I say it too. Right. Um, so it all just was like, huh, CPR, come up for air. It's all on brand. And um, it just kind of quickly came, came to be. Yeah. I, I love it because it's a way if we close with being on together on Valentine's day and a way that all of you can practice self-love is really to take care of yourself. And this mm -hmm. is one way, even if it's just one thing that you do for yourself to become more efficient, yeah. you know, it is about reviving your life. Yeah. Well, right? what's that, what's that phrase on a, on a plane, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself That's first. Right. That's right. Before you help yeah. others. Well, I want to heart you, Nick. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for, for spending having me. Time this with is fun. Me. And I love that we got to be together since we were live together so in New awesome. York in NYC, one of my favorite hometowns um, at PNT Network Bookstore and Podcast Studio. So shout out to them for allowing us to crash their party here and have our podcast live. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Oh my gosh. So good. All right, Nick. And we'll see everybody later. Thanks for joining.